Elise told me about this new thing. I don't know if it's a new thing, but she told me about a thing where people pick a word for the year. So in the beginning of the year, I picked a word, and it turned into three words, but one of the words I picked is beauty. In my quest to find beauty, I think I have found its heights. I think I have found a beauty that would bring every one of you to tears. I found a beauty that encapsulates you into a joyful ecstasy. And the height of beauty is this. It's to behold someone willingly sacrificing for the good of others by love. A willful sacrifice. It must not, it it has to be voluntary. And more than that, just to behold it, when someone does that for you, when you see somebody willingly suffer for your good out of love for you, it changes you. It puts life inside of you. It becomes something more beautiful than music, but worth writing songs about. And when someone suffers for the sake of love, it's like the heavens open up and all of its blessings come down as if to say this. This is what life is about. This is what life here in our world that has fallen is about. Sacrificial love, voluntary sacrificial love for the sake of others. And then the tippy top, the very heights of beauty is the Christ sacrificed for you. And this story of the Christ, it's not an accident. It's planned. This is, that was planned too, I suppose. It's, it's now, I, so, so God knew what was going to happen. Now, I want you to think back at creation. God is creating the world. He knows what awaits his one and only son. And still, he moves forward in knitting you together. Knitting humanity together, knowing what it's going to cost him, but he goes forward with it still. Why in the world would he do it? For love and for beauty. Jesus says there is no greater love than this, than someone laying down his life for his friends. And he says, you are my friends. And there's another place where God is said to be love. So God... By laying down his life, the plan before he created us, doing all of that so that he could show us the fullness of his love. And, you know, I'm going to jump into the text before we read it. I kind of get, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I mean, let me just do it. There's a word in our verses we're going to read. It's pangs. The phrase is pangs of death. And the translation can also be horrors of death or the agonies of death. But if you look at the Greek word that is translated pangs in our verses, the literal meaning is the pain of childbirth. And so what it's saying is that there is the pangs of death that Jesus goes through. And by him willingly, voluntarily giving up his life, it's like childbirth. 
It's like life comes out of it through the pain. So you really think about this. The love between two people. It reaches its climax at birth. Something's born into the world. But in order for life to come bursting forth into the world, it must first endure pain. So love is costly. Love drives you into pain, but in doing that, it produces life. And you know what that means for you? It means that every little bit of pain, every little bit of suffering, anything that you endure for the sake of love, it's going to bring life into the world. We're in this series. It's called Our Hearts Burn Within. And my prayer for you today is that you will start living like that. Like, you'll really just, like, look for ways to sacrificially love so that life will come bursting forth around you. And our verses were in Acts, in this series, and we're in Acts 2, 22 through 38. And I got a, a lot of verses to read today. So stay with me. And a little bit, some of it's pretty hard to understand, so, but I believe that you can do it. So, here we go. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All right. First point. Christ's beautiful acts of love. 
the greatest act of love that reaches beyond space and time, that reaches beyond our understanding of the cosmos is right here in the Christ event. In this Christ event, there are four parts that Peter talks about. And I want you to listen close to them. It's important you get this. This is the one Christ event, these four parts. Christ's life, his death, his resurrection, and then his exaltation to the throne. Let's walk through them. Verse 22. His life is filled with wonders and signs, but all the wonders and signs, they're done for a purpose. They're done for the sake of love for those in need. And they are proving that his name is above every name. His wonders and signs are proving that he is Lord. And that's a very important word that you hear, Lord, because this is going back to the Old Testament. The God of the Old Testament, Yahweh, like the God who makes himself known personally, Lord. It's just a new name for Yahweh. Jesus is God in the flesh, the exact imprint of God. He contains within himself the fullness of love, but not just the fullness of God's love, but he is God himself. And he walked among us. Pure, perfect love here. And then second, his death. So his life, now his death. It says it was the definite plan of God that the Christ be killed. Now this is hearkening back to the Old Testament in this, this, this thing that happens called the Council of Redemption. Have you heard of this? This is when the divine triune God gathers around his divine fireplace. And as the fireplace is crackling in his divine home, they make a plan. And the plan is this. We will die for our creation. Death awaits the Son of God. Even before creation, even, even before a word of creation is even spoken, that was the plan. All the way back from the beginning. While we were enemies, he would win us back by irresistible grace. It's like the beauty of God required vile sinners for us to be able to see the heights of his beauty and love. It's amazing. And then third, his resurrection. While the tendrils of death had hold of him, while the vines of hell were gripping him and suffocating him, because of who he is, because of his willingness to suffer and die, the father clipped the vines and raised him up from the, from the dead. And then last, there's a throne, there's a seat in heaven, and it is reserved for one. And it is the one who is willing to come and suffer and die for his enemies. And the one who accomplishes that is the one who sits upon that throne. And that is why he is worthy of worship. That is the four parts of the Christ event, the gospel. And if you looked at the whole counsel of God, you would add in his return, which we're awaiting. Now, there's a problem that arises. It's probably happening to you. 
Here's the question or the challenge that I want to give you. Are you holding all four of those truths in tension? Or did one of them sound more beautiful than the others? Because likely what's happening is you are drawn more to one of them. And that's fine. That's fine. And you'll notice that. So in your prayers, you're going to be focused on one of those four. When you speak about the truth of God, you'll be focused in on one of those four. If You'll notice when people come up here and pray, they'll be focused in on one of those four. The songs that you like, they're going to probably be focused in on one of those four. And that's okay. However, you have to learn to hold them all in tension. So here's what will often happen. Oftentimes when people leave the church, it's because they see hypocrisy in the church. They see a bunch of sinners in the church. And like, yeah, because you know what they're looking at? They're looking at the life of Christ, and they're saying, why can't Christians be more like Christ? Well, the answer is because we're under this curse. Now, we've been like, we're healed, but at the same time, we're becoming something new. And so you can't look at the life of Christ and expect others to follow it. If Let me say it like this. Those who have most found grace more easily dish it out to others, the grace. So that's a problem. If you're only focused on his life, well, you'll probably just leave the church because there's a bunch of hypocrites in it. Second is death. If this is like you, well, maybe you're the type of person who is wallowing in your guilt and your shame. And you know what the cross gives you? Forgiveness. It gives you life. It gives you freedom from all the sins, past, present, and future. It's done. Man, that's beautiful. But if you don't think about his rule and reign right now, well, then you don't even really focus on how you should live. You're just constantly being comforted by the truth of the cross, which is a great thing. But you can't stop there. Go on and become more of who you're meant to become. Or... The resurrection, I mean, the resurrection brings power, it brings life, it brings some victory. So you focus in too much, it's good, but if you focus in too much on that, you don't, you're not honest about your sin. Or the fourth one, if you make everything about how he is upon the throne right now, ruling and reigning, well then there's some ways that you should now live, there's some rules that you should follow. But if you only focus on that, well, then you're not tender to people who are stuck in their sin. So you have to live in tension of all four. For years, everything for me was about the cross. Like, Christ lived perfectly, and he credited with his perfection. He credited it to me. Like, I'm perfectly righteous, not because of me, but because of him. And all of my shame, all of my guilt, it was his on the cross. He wore it all. And all the wrath that the Father had for all of my sin was satisfied against Christ on the cross, not me. And when I heard that, I was melted. Like, I just wanted to worship God. And then it's all I wanted to talk about. And when I was leading worship, that's all I wanted to point people to was the cross and the cross. Everything's about the cross. And if ever I heard a sermon that did not have the cross in it, I was mad. And, and maybe rightfully so. But then I started experiencing, experiencing some agony in my life and some pain. 
And what I found helped me the most was the resurrection. It like came alive to me. Because the resurrection means that not one ounce of pain that I experience will be wasted. It will all be used for good so I can endure it more. The resurrection means that there is life on the other side of death. It means that there's joy on the other side of sorrow. It means to find the heights, you have to first go down into the depths. And then I had an epiphany this week. The cross is beautiful, yes. Guilt and shame gone. The resurrection screams out that this life matters, that this world matters to God. And that there's some power for us to do something here and to bring some good here. But the exaltation of Christ. You know, you've got to move through everything onwards and upwards to see the exalted Christ, the one who sits upon the throne. And because he's there upon the throne, it's like demanding that you worship him. And, I, I, you know, I've, I've always known that to be true. When I, when I preach, I make it my goal not to give you some theological lesson, not to speak and give you some practical tools, not to teach you. My goal is to lead you into the excellencies of Christ so you'll worship him. And then this week, I discovered it all anew. Many of your marriages need counseling. Many of you need some more wisdom in your life. Many of you need more money. Many of you need to be more generous. Many of you need to be more selfless and sacrifice for others. But what you need more than all of those things first is someone worthy to worship. It's one of the least practical things you can do is to worship Christ. But at the same time, it's the most practical thing. Worshiping God is a waste of your time, but it's the best use of your time. Whatever is happening wrong in your life, you could probably boil it down to a worship issue. Even when you're facing difficulties that you can't control and you want some joy, it's a worship issue. So what is worship? It's finding the one thing to devote your life to and then devoting your life to it. It's the object that you, worship is the object that you think will give you the most joy and peace. And it's finding what will finally make you wise in letting it rule you. And it's likely that your life is a mess. It's because of false worship. Because you're letting something rule the throne of your heart and tell you how to live your life. So, start worshiping the risen, exalted Christ. Try this. Take long walks with God. And I know what you're thinking. David, I have kids. Quiet time? Like, the glory and excellencies of Christ await you. Bring your children with you. You're like, it's crazy. Yeah. And he's with you in the craziness. That's pretty cool. Devote your entire Sunday to God. 
come here. But before you come here, prepare your heart to encounter the excellencies of Christ. And then get here with God's people together with one, one voice. You worship him. And then you go and you eat and you gather around a table with your family and your friends. And there you make God at the center through prayer. Do that on Sunday. He's the only thing that's worthy to worship. There is nothing else. Stop worshiping things that will not die for you. And stop worshiping things that do not have the power to raise you up from the grave. It's a waste of your time. He's the, he is the only one who is worthy of worship because he's the only one who has died and has risen for you. And because he did all of that, there are three beautiful gifts that you now get from his love. So this is our second point, his beautiful gifts from love. They are forgiveness, baptism, and the Holy Spirit. Now, your forgiveness of sins, this is past, present, and future. Some of you are still being owned by your sin. Your past sins are owning you. Your present sins are owning you. And you're worried about your future sins, and you're like, I don't know if he will still love me because of what I'm going to do in the future. I don't even know what it is, but I don't trust my own heart. Past, present, future sins, forgiven, wiped clean, done. Our culture has a way for you to deal with your sin. And our culture says, blame your sin on your past. You have wounds. Things have happened to you. And because of those things that have happened to you, you are who you are today and now. That's letting your past define you. And, you know, you know, here's the problem. It's saying that you're a victim. And the Bible would agree you are a victim. But here, here's two problems with being the victim. Victims often throughout history become villains, especially if they have the opportunity for it. But second, if you are a victim and you hold on to the victim mindset, then you will always have an excuse for why you are the way that you are, which means you'll never change. There's always going to be a reason. And so forgiveness, well, you find forgiveness by blaming your past. And what Christianity is saying is it's time to have a real mirror moment and find forgiveness. Not excuses, but just forgiveness. And that will heal you. If what I just said sounded harsh, you're missing something. This is the path to true healing. This is the path to real forgiveness. This is the path that makes you know everything is okay. Okay, second you have second gift is you have your baptism. And I'm not talking about a physical baptism. I'm talking about what your physical baptism is pointing to. Look at what our verses do. It's a strange thing. You have to really like you have to really know how to read the Bible to pick up what's going on here. Look at so King David Peter is quoting King David, and King David says, I saw the Lord at my right hand, so my heart was glad. I will not be abandoned to Hades or imprisoned to corruption. You have put me on the path of life and goodness. Okay, so Peter says in the sermon that while David, a way long time ago, was saying that about himself, he was actually saying it about Christ. 
So how can those words be about Christ? The answer is that David looked upon those words with faith, knowing that that is what the future Christ would do. So it's not true, actually, for David, but it is. It's only true for David because of his faith, and here's what I mean by that. Faith puts you in union with Christ. Like you're bound together as one. And if you are bound together with one who, the one who has died and rose, then that means you now, by faith, have already died and rose. So you're living in the resurrected life right now. Death will have no claim on you. You simply pass through it. Like the baptism of going down into the water and back up. Third gift, the Holy Spirit. We talked about this last week. What you crave more than anything is to be in a room that has somehow contained all the glory of God. Because in that room, that is where you experience perfect love and beauty. That is where you experience the excellencies and the joys of being known by Christ and knowing him and being known by him. All of it's there. And in Christianity, you don't go into that room. You become that room. We are called the house of God, the dwelling place of God, especially when we gather together, united as one. And that is when we experience the unity together. God comes to dwell in our midst and we experience his glory. So what do you, I mean, is there anything more beautiful than this? And then what, so what should we do? And it says, says that they are cut to the heart and they repent and they're baptized. So 30, verse 37, be cut to the heart. Meaning, let these truths pierce you. Meaning it's going to hurt. It's going to cut into you. But it's the kind of hurt that brings healing. It's the pangs kind of hurt. It's the childbirth kind of hurt. Where when you go through the pain of truth on the other side, you experience beauty and life. So, practically speaking, being a Christian... If you are one, it should humble you. But it should also make you, like, not take things so seriously. Like, you simultaneously become more serious about your sin, but less serious. Meaning you don't have to be so defensive anymore. And I speak as someone who's defensive a lot. What this allows you to do is to say to those who love you and know you best, Hey, like, how am I doing? Are there things that I can do sacrificially to love you more? And just be ready to hear what they have to say. Be ready to be cut a little bit. But the cutting brings healing. And you say those same things, not just with those that love you, but the one who loves you most, who is God. And you ask him. And then you be ready to change. And when you're like, ah, this seems too much for me, you say, well, I have a place to go. It's my Savior who's already faced everything and has given me the power to change and become something new. And then you just have a real baptism, like a physical baptism. If you, we have baptisms coming up, if you're interested, come and talk to me. But let me just, let me just, here's the last application of this. 
Make this the truth that you live by. Love will lead you to a willful sacrifice, a voluntary sacrifice for the people around you. And you'll bring life into them and around them and into our world. Love is going to, voluntary love that endures pain is the answer to our problems. It's the answer to more of your problems than you know. And you don't want to face it because it's going to be costly for you. It costs a lot. Love is very costly. It costs God everything. But it says it was a joy for Christ to endure it. Like, really ask yourself who you're willing to endure a cross for. Like, are you willing to experience an eternal hell so that others can experience an eternal life? That's not your cross to bear, by the way. That's Christ's cross. However, like, I think I can say that I would willingly endure an eternal hell so my children and my wife does not have to. It's not my cross to bear. I can't bear it, but I can live like it. And if I live like it's true, then it's going to change the way that I interact with them. It's going to change the way that I treat them. And I'm going to wake up in the morning different. And as, like, the pastor of this church, I want to be to this place to where I can be like Moses. You know, there's a story in the, in the, in the Bible where, old, where Moses says, God, I will endure, like, all the worst so if you will just save your people. In other words, he's ready to endure hell. There was this question that would be asked for people who would graduate seminary, and um, w- one was asked, are you ready to be a pastor? Are you willing to die like Moses and endure hell for your people? And the guy said, no, but I'd be willing for you to, to the questioner. When we see what Jesus has done for us, it burns something in our heart to make us want to be like him. And we begin to see the beauty of a willing sacrifice for the people in our lives. And so the problem that you have when you aren't able to do it is you aren't in worship in that moment. So how do you get in worship? you got to go back and you got to look at the one, the excellencies of Christ, who endured the torrents of hell, the pains of death. He took everything on for you. And because he was pure and perfect love, not only did he deserve to be risen up from the grave, but death can't take that kind of love. Hell doesn't know what to do with that kind of beauty. And so while God raised him from the dead, at the same time, hell did not want him there. Look at him and worship him, and you'll be changed. You'll start loving like he loved. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would turn us into people who love like this. That we would pursue the heights of beauty. That we would set our imagination upon it. And we would be led to you. God, let us see how every bit of a sacrifice that's willingly done is whispering the name of Christ. Bring us to the feet of our Savior.
to his embrace, his love, so we might live like him. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider, follow our social media at Grove Church PSL, and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.